at the end of the day, I believe that the more people who we have who are well educated and who can contribute to society as entrepreneurs, as leaders, as you know, ambassadors for for the world that's coming, the more I think our collective well-being, our shared well-being, will benefit. Cast your mind back to when you were younger. How did you want to change the world? What skills and opportunities do you wish you had to succeed? And now, fast forward to today. Do you believe young people have these skills and opportunities? In Youth We Trust sits down with successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, educators and others from around the world. We spotlight how individuals and organisations are shaping a better world, directly or indirectly, for the coming generations through their focus on sustainability, equity, education and more to empower young people to create the future they deserve. And now, in Youth We Trust. In today's episode, we talk to Jamie Mercedes, a long-time CEO of Lumina Foundation, advancing social mobility in higher education in the U.S., with a stated goal of getting 60% of the young adults to have a credential or a college degree of value by 2025. Jamie is a tech optimist who has written a book, Humans at Work in the Age of Machines. He reminds us that technology has always created more jobs than it has destroyed, and therefore, young people should not make the mistake of assuming that AI is either transformatively great or existentially terrible. Instead, he urges them to use AI responsibly and to think about how it can help make human lives better. He takes us through his journey of entrepreneurship and how education ended poverty in the Marisotis family forever. Good afternoon, Jamie, uh, and welcome to In Youth We Trust podcast. Wonderful to be with you, Prashant. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, it is a real privilege to have you, uh, you know, on my show um, and uh, and to be able to discuss in, in what hopefully will be a freewheeling structure about all things AI and, uh, you know, empowerment of young people to, to think. So why don't I start straight away by giving you an opportunity to talk about what excites you about being here on this show? Well, the, the thing that I love about what you're doing is that you're trying to connect um, youth with opportunity. And uh, my own story is very much about that. My, I'm an American my uh, parents are immigrants to America. Uh, they came from Greece and uh, my parents uh, were not able to benefit from education, but my parents were very committed to the education of their children. And they really put all of their energy and effort into ensuring that I and my three brothers um, all had an opportunity to go to university, go to higher education. And so you know, I like to tell people all the time that um, education ended poverty in the Marisotis family forever. And uh, I believe that I was fortunate to have parents that were so committed to that. So that's why I'm here and I'm, I'm very happy to be here. And you've done that for nearly 20 years with Lumina Foundation, uh, you know, close resemblance to um, the venture that, you know, I'm running Lumi, but you've been instrumental in actually uh, giving you know, thousands, if not millions of young people, an opportunity to kind of study beyond high school, right? Yeah, the arc of my career has always been about increasing educational attainment. So I worked uh, in America as a research analyst. I then uh, became the head of an NGO that was focusing 
on trying to increase educational opportunity, particularly for low income, first generation, and uh, in the American context, minority uh, populations, minority learners, and um, worked internationally, worked in um, South Africa, Mozambique, uh, Botswana, Russia, Ukraine. I've worked in, in Europe and in the UK. And but all of my focus has been on this idea of increasing educational attainment. And at Lumina Foundation, so Lumina is a, a grant making foundation, a, a very sort of large entity with a large endowment. And the endowment is focused on trying to create large scale change, systemic change in the American context. So to try to increase the proportion of Americans who have a university degree or some other credential after high school. When we started this work in 2008, when I arrived at Lumina, 38% uh, of Americans had a degree or other credential. Uh, last year, 54% of Americans had a degree or other credential. So we are talking about more than 10 million more Americans than when we started this work. And obviously Lumina Foundation didn't create 10 million more credentials, but we, we believe we contributed to the ecosystem that's helped to make that possible. And so, I see the world as a world where we should be thinking about large scale change, about systemic change. Helping individuals is really important, but the combined effort of helping those individuals should lead to large scale change. And uh, at the end of the day, I believe that the more people who we have who are well educated and who can contribute to society as entrepreneurs, as leaders, as, as, uh, you know, ambassadors for, for the world that's coming. Uh, the more I think our collective well-being, our shared well-being will benefit. So it's not just about them, though it's very important that we support uh, youth, that we support individuals, but their well-being results in our shared well-being. That's what I really focus on. Understood. No, understood. So given how passionately you're talking about, well, your own background and how, uh, you know, uh, education ended poverty forever in the Marisota's family, let me take you back to your younger self. And, uh, and, and you, as you know, Lumi runs quests, which, which empower young people to not only solve the greatest problems that humanity is facing, at least give them an agency to do that, but also at the same time, build the most critical skills that they need. So if you were to go back to your younger self, what quest would you have liked to be on? You know, there's two things that I think of when I think about that that question. It's such a such a good question. One is remembering my younger self and how afraid I was of the world ahead and how little I knew about what the opportunities were. And so when you're the first uh, generation, when you're the first in your family to to um you know go through these kind of learning experiences like what what Lumi Lumi offers. Um, it's, it's frightening. And, and, and it was, you know, it was very, very challenging for me. So I think in my, my younger self would want to be ambitious, would want to be ambitious about the kinds of, of large scale change that, that, that I'm focused on. You know, I ended up as a, as an entrepreneur, a social entrepreneur in a way, um, in the education space, almost by accident. What I really wanted to do was, uh, my first job in Washington, D.C., I was looking for a job in public policy and social policy. Um, but what I really cared about was how to impact large numbers of people. So it could have been in healthcare, It could have been in housing. It could have been in education. There's lots of areas 
for which poor people need a lot more support. And I think the quest I probably would have wanted to, to go on would have been a quest that focused on really serving large numbers of poor people, particularly, I would say, even though I've worked most of my career in America, I probably would have focused my efforts on trying to create large scale change in countries where there's you know, very large uh, challenges with poverty in Africa and in India and in certain parts of Asia and other parts of, uh, of the world where we see many, many challenges uh, that uh, I think I would have committed myself to uh, a quest in, in, in that direction. That's interesting. So, you know, that's a very ambitious goal to actually have gone on a quest at that age to, uh, to impact uh, education and the futures of young people in different countries, not just yours. Um, and so I, I mean, you already kind of know why this topic is important to you, because it was very personal. I think you were one of the people who you want, you know, who you wanted to help. I mean, yeah, right, right. Exactly. People like you. People like me. Right. People like you. But what uh, what skill would you bring to that problem at that time? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I was, um, as a young person, incredibly ambitious. In other words, uh, ambitious in terms of wanting to be engaged in lots and lots of different things. So um, in, uh, in the era when I grew up, uh, young people delivered newspapers uh, to, uh, to homes. And um, I, I delivered newspapers for three different newspapers in the in the uh, town where, where where I lived, and uh, so I had this ambition uh, to to work hard and to be really committed and to be to, to be really focused and and I think my own commitment, my own desire to translate that into into social good, into social uh, benefit, was always part of of who I am. But I think that my my commitment was always about trying to create social change. And, you know, I look at today's youth and many youth around the world are interested in issues of, of climate mitigation and sustainability and issues about, you know, sort of the shared well-being that comes from the the, the, the destruction that humans have brought uh, to uh, to our to our climate. Yeah. And I admire that. I admire that commitment that you see from youth around the world to to support uh, sustainability at scale. It's their world, it's their future, but they understand that it's not just about them, it's about something else. Wow. I mean, it is interesting uh, because, and it's inspirational personally for me, because you have actually gone on to, to deliver substantial change on that metric of driving social equity uh, through education, right? And, and economic equity. Yeah, you know, upliftment of, of yeah. uh, you know, so such a large number of people that you, you previously mentioned, uh, particularly in America. Now, what skills do you think you were missing to drive greater impact at that time? A lot of a lot of things. Um, you know, ambition is not enough. Uh, ambition is good. That, that, that's re that's really important. Um, so there were some really practical things. I don't think I was particularly well organized. Um, so, you know, in the modern context, I don't think I had a business plan. Um, I really don't think I had, you know, a sort of a sense of, you know, what the next year, the next three years, the next five years of, of that path that I was on was going to take me. Um, I don't think that I particularly understood some basic things about how to build and grow a business. And I ended up as a 
you know, running uh, not for-profit businesses, but not-for-profit businesses. But uh, I did not really understand that. Um, and I also, I, I don't think that I understood how important human networks are, right? So when you're young and you're ambitious, um, which I really admire, you also think, I can do this. Um, and at the end of the day, there are many inspirational people in the world, but nobody accomplishes what they accomplish on their own. And I think I probably didn't understand how important it was to be part of a community, to be a part of a team, to be a part of a, of a network of people who are all aiming towards common objectives, com common outcomes. And so I think that's something that I, I really didn't learn until I was much further into my career. How interesting is that? I mean, you know, you talked about a business plan. It made me think, well, do I have a business plan even today? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, th I think, I think with, with the disruption that we see all around us, I mean, it's very hard to actually have a business plan today. And if I put myself in the shoes of, of, of my own kids who don't really think about a business plan or even the future as, as much, I mean, although tacitly probably they do, um, but, it's, you it's know, every, every year, Prashant, every, every year I still do this, even though I'm, you know, I'm much older now. Every year around the, the new year, I set annual personal goals for myself um, and I write them I mean, down and then, and then I review them a couple of times a year. And then at the end of the year, I say, how did I do? So, you know, I, I have professional goals. I have goals for the for the company, for the organization, but I have personal goals. I, I, I you know, for years have you know written down five or six goals and sometimes they're very sort of mundane things, but um, I, I try to sort of take a step back and look at my own life and say, what do, what do I want to accomplish next year? Uh, that's so just sort of one of the things I've done. So you're one of those few people who has a new re year resolution and actually follows through. <laughs> well, not always, not always, but I, you know, I'm, I have good intentions. I think that's the key is to be, that's really to, be good. Yeah. To, be, to, to be, to be, to be outcomes focused. I, I think that does matter. That is a that's a and you've always had that even when you were younger, much younger. Yeah, I I started doing that as a university student, so I've done that for wow. for many years. Yeah, that's really impressive. I mean, look, I mean, I've met people like that. Um, I recently met a business leader, really successful um, person here, who's uh, who's doing great things on on uh, climate action, and he told me he said, look, when I became forty, I actually wrote down the things I need to have do by, by the time I'm 50 and I've done all of them. And I was so impressed. Uh, I thought, my goodness me. So knowing what you've done um, in different fields, particularly in education and social mobility, uh, what is the greatest strength that you would bring to that younger self today? Well, you know, obviously experience matters a lot and that's something you, you don't have when, when you are younger. But I do think the experience of, of, um, you know, what, one of the most important things that, um, that my career has brought me is failure. And you learn a lot from failure. F failure is, is, is often in the moment very difficult, but failure gives you an opportunity. I and my, um, business partner, who is now my wife, by the way, uh, created a, a, um, um, uh, an, an NGO that, uh, still exists today, 30 years later. So, uh, it's uh, very, very exciting to realize that, uh, you can, 
you can create something that has long-term value and long-term success. And it, it's very successful without us, by the way, we have nothing to do with it. It's, well, it's, it's gone on on its own for years. And that's, that's, that's very satisfying to know that you've, you've helped create something that doesn't need you anymore, but can be very successful on its own. That, that's really exciting. Yeah, I mean, I believe in that a lot. Uh, and that is my personal quest to to create something enduring. And I think you're talking about exactly that. Yeah. Um, it has to succeed without you because, you know, we are all finite beings, right? Uh, right? So therefore, how do you institutionalize success? How do you institutionalize uh, methods which lead to sustained progress? And so that's an interesting point, you know, like an appetite to fail, to learn, that you can bring. And I think, uh, therefore, resilience is what you're actually talking about. And I agree right. with you that, you know, we, uh, a large part of education, large part of uh, what we do in life, we are actually trying to avoid risk. And uh, so let's, let's talk about, um, um, you know, another aspect of that. So now we have to build these skills. Uh, we, you know, in, sometimes you build it through experience, like you said, but our, do you think that young people by and large today are getting opportunities to build these skills faster or earlier than people like you and I did? I think that um, education is very important. I wrote a book about 10 years ago. Uh, my most recent book is on human work. But before that, I wrote a book very focused on the American context called America Needs Talent. Um, and um, the book was about how we need to think about um, uh, developing and deploying talent in new ways in, in the American context. And what's harder for today's young people is that it is a much more complex world. And there are many, many more challenges, I think, facing young people, some of it being the effects of what my generation and generations before have done to the world, be it climate change or, you know, whatever the things might be. Uh, but some of it also, I think, is that we just live in a more sophisticated, technology-mediated world where there are lots of things happening, good and bad, uh, in, in the world. And I think that uh, there's there's a lot of um, – some uh, American academics refer to this as excess choice, right? That the problem is that you have so many choices that it actually – it causes you to freeze. It causes you to – to, to, to stop in your tracks and say, I'm not sure what to do, do next. And one of the reasons why I think we see a higher incidence of mental health issues in young people. Yeah, but I think what I'm also hearing is the complexity. I think there is, there is generally, at least this is my perception, uh, the world's changing very fast, but the young people don't necessarily have avenues to kind of pick up on uh, on the new kind of skills, the new ways of thinking and working yes. that that we need. But at the same time, I, I have a paradoxical situation that I see, you know, everywhere. Uh, there is that we recognize it, but I don't see the society necessarily recognizing that that need. Yeah. So are we like, uh, is, is the society, I mean, are we all just frogs in a pan, or, you know, yeah. which is going to boil or, 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 or is there something that I'm missing? Yeah. In some ways we, we are, you know, I, I often think, um, and my more recent book, which you and I have talked about on, on human work, I think tries to, to get at this, which is that, you know, part of what got me motivated to write another book after the first one, writing a book is really difficult by the way. So after you write one, you think oh, I will nice. never do that again because it was so hard. And then, <laughs> 
but I, I, one of the things that motivated me was that I was seeing these technologies evolve. And so uh, this book on human work came out in 2020. So you have to remember, this is before the world really understood generative AI and chat GPT mm, yeah. and large language models and all that. But I was seeing those technologies through, through my own work and, and research. And I thought, well, what are the humans going to do in this increasingly technology-mediated era? And this gets at your question, right, which is that the, the skills and the abilities that you need today are not only technical skills. So technical skills are really important, right? You have to, under, you have to be, uh, you know, have good math skills. You've got, you have to have good numeracy. You've got to have good literacy, et cetera. But you've also got to develop your own human traits and capabilities. And, and again, we, we think those things are often innate, right? The ability to be empathetic, the ability to be ethical, uh, you know, the, the ability to be a critical thinker, a problem solver, et cetera. And we need to understand what the capabilities of, of AI, of, of smart machines really are, but focus on what makes us uniquely human. And, you know, that compassion, the empathy, the, the ability to interpersonally communicate, to be creative as humans, all of those things are things that I think we need to focus on because that's how you end up as a human worker, someone who has the social mobility, someone who has the personal satisfaction. And I think at the end of the day, someone who has the dignity and the meaning and the purpose that comes from being in the world and, and performing work, oh, you know, do, doing work, work tasks. You know, I, 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 I hear people say all, all the time, and I hear some of the some of the tech leaders saying they're envisioning a world without work. Um, that does not sound like a very attractive world to a lot of people, um, uh, because for humans, work matters. This episode is brought to you by Lumi.network. We're on a mission to help the next generation get ready to take on the world. Our AI augmented platform runs quests that help 10 to 25 year olds shape their future by developing AI, entrepreneurship and design thinking skills to solve the most pressing business and social issues. If you or your organization wants to positively impact the next generation, we'd love to talk to you. To learn more, visit Lumi.network. In your current roles, I mean, if you stay in the present now, how are you uh, empowering young people? I mean, clearly, one, one of the things that, by, uh, by the way, I, I was, as I was listening to you, I felt like Humans at Work, which is right behind you, should be a textbook in the institutions that you actually, uh, you know, kind of support uh, or the higher, you know, the, the colleges and the universities, but it probably isn't. So I think, so how are you directly making an impact today? Well, as the CEO of this, you know, large foundation, we are investing in increasing opportunity, right? So increasing participation in, in higher education, further education after high school, um, increasing success for those who actually get in. This is where the equity issues, I think, become very important because there yeah. are differences in terms of, of what happens to individuals when they enter university and what happens to them because of their own personal background, because of gender bias, because of racial bias, because of economic circumstances, because of, of lots of other things. And um, and then we've got to do a, a better job, I think, of, <clears throat> of preparing people for employment, preparing them for, for the world of, of work where the human tasks are going, going to be increasingly important. So that's my commitment. That That's really what, what I've focused mm -hmm. on. And and uh, this this idea, by the way, 
of equity is, I think, incredibly important in all of that. I've thought a lot about this over the years. And I think I always think about what are the barriers to equity and how do we overcome those barriers? And for anyone in any context, no matter what country you live in, those barriers come down to, I like to call it a three-legged stool, right? So those barriers tend to be financial challenges, personal, social, emotional challenges, and academic challenges. And many times the people who advance solutions, let's say from government, they tend to focus on how do we solve the academic challenges of young people or how do we solve their financial barriers or how do we deal with their emotional, their mental health, their, their family issues, et cetera. So you have to, you have to think about all of those things uh, together, not simply as uh, sort of individual parts of, of a strategic approach to increasing opportunity. Understood. And that's what, you know, through principally through Lumina, you're trying to do the, the provide all, all three, three legs. I mean, that's very powerful. Um, and, and, you know, and I mean, you clearly have um, answered my, what I usually ask my guests, ask my guests, say, how are we doing that equitably? I think that Lumina stands for that. So that's really powerful and, and good to know. And, and, you know, you talk about these three legs, but let's look at, are there other problems that are actually beginning to impinge on a young person's consciousness as they need to also think about those things? So, uh, you know, if I go back to my younger self, I agree completely with you about, you know, that three-legged stool. But I kind of start, I'm, I'm beginning to see, you know, um, a more existential issue, at least in some young yeah. people's minds. So do you think that, you know, there are other things that young people today need to think about or get involved with? Yeah, I think a lot about... Um... Um, existential risk. Um, in fact, um, at uh, Cambridge University Jesus College, there's a center called the Center for the Study of Existential Risk, and uh, I've, I've engaged. I've engaged with them. Uh, sounds like a very depressing uh, job, but it's really important uh, because they focus on things like climate change and the existential risk to human existence of of not dealing with uh, with uh, with hmm. our climate challenges. The existential risks of authoritarianism and declining democracy around the world, as another example, or the existential risk of unregulated AI, as as another example. And so, yes, I think that for young people today, they are they are living in a world. In my generation, our sense of existential risk was a global nuclear war. Right. That was human action could cause the end of, of human existence. That's the way we thought about existential risk. But today it is a much more complicated, I think, uh, equation to think about, again, this confluence of things about uh, rising authoritarianism, declining um, okay. sense of, 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 of self and of, of, of self-agency. And then, you know, these issues of climate change. And, you know, it, it feels like the world is out of your control. And by the way, the pandemic, I think, magnified that. Uh, I think that. The pandemic was a moment for all of us globally where we realized, oh, there are things outside of our control in terms of human existence. I mean, I completely uh, agree. I think that, you know, it can feel very depressing, but at the same time, um, uh, you know, if we systematically look at um, each of these 
issues, then there is a lot that young people are doing or can do. So let, let's go a little bit into the future, you know, given uh, we, we have a limited amount of time. Um, I want to specifically focus on AI because it's a topic that I'm beginning to get deeper and deeper into personally uh, when it comes to young people. And uh, you have already covered very extensively and you're, you know, you're already, you've alluded to it several times in our conversation. So how does a young person look at AI? You know, how, how, how should he or she deal with it? Yeah, I think that our, our, our narrative and the narrative that young people are getting is um, a barbell, right? That AI is either transformatively great or existentially terrible. Um, and I think that is the wrong way for young people to think about AI. You know, I go back to this concept of human machine complementarity, thinking about how AI is going to positively influence your life when you interact with the AI is really important. And so, you know, I read a lot of, of these projections and analyses talking about the destruction of jobs that will result from AI. You know, historically, technology has always destroyed a lot of jobs um, as new technological things came along, the Industrial Revolution, you know, the advent of the Internet, uh, and now, uh, you know, artificial intelligence is, is just some examples. But at the end of the day, technology has always created more opportunities and it's destroyed. In the same way that I'm optimistic, by the way, about the model that uh, Lumi and, and others like Lumi advance, which is to think about empowering young people um, giving them their own sense of hope, of agency, of opportunity, and not feel like the world is happening to them. I think what you've really um, shown uh, to young people is that they can create their own opportunity. And they have to do that by being ambitious, by having, you know, going on this quest, having this, this, this plan. Um, and, um, you know, when they, when they um, achieve what they want to achieve, they will realize that they benefited from their learning, but also from their own experience. Yeah. Well, you know, so here's a, here's a, here's a question for you. I mean, what I see around me is people like you and I, who are constantly in that space, we are aware of the potential and also of the risks, right? I think that the younger generation um, is clearly being digital natives, they're probably even more aware of the opportunities and risks. But it's, as you said, it's unregulated. So one, on the one hand, I actually worry about the impact uh, of unregulated exposure, like we ended up with social media, which was detrimental and which we saw in its full flow in, during the pandemic. But on the other hand, I also feel like we both, as parents, needed, if you we were not so close to these topics, needed to be better educated. I, what I find, and this is highly subjective, is there is a feeling of, yeah, you know, like you said, uh, the industrial revolution came, the internet came, things come, things change, but we are all fine. Now, personally, I think with AI, this is a tsunami of change. Yes. And when combined with other issues like climate or geopolitical risks and rising authoritarianism, it creates a very different and disruptive environment for the younger person. But I, is it denial? Is it just, am I kind of more worried about these things or thinking too much about it? Or is it that we need to do more 
to educate society, to educate parents like us. We, we absolutely do need to do more. And I think those risks that you've articulated are real. Uh, I, I would not minimize those, those risks in, in any way. But at the end of the day, I think um, giving people that sense of agency, of hope, of opportunity, of the fact that they do have control uh, over their own futures and they, they can, uh, you know, I think, I think one of the things in the modern era uh, is that many people believe that things are outside of their control because of the speed and pace that you were talking about of the change that's happening. Uh, but uh, we as humans, as you know, whatever the number is now, 7 billion humans on the planet, we have the opportunity to change the trajectory of, of human existence. And we all can do that as individuals. And we need to think, you know, to go back to my point at the beginning, about the fact that as individuals, our combined effort leads to shared well-being. And, and I think that's really important to, to not lose sight of that, even in the face of these great, great risks, these great existential challenges. Well, that's great. And that's great. And, and how do you think we can, as a society or as people in this space, do a better job? And this is just not you and I, anybody in our position. Uh, you know, the educators, the leaders in businesses can do a better job of informing society about not creating a sense of fear, but a sense of uh, just a greater understanding. What more can yeah. be done? I'm a, I'm a, um, I'm a all in, full on committed person when it comes to education and learning. So I believe that uh, we need to use all of our tools to make learning real over the course of people's entire life. I think one of the issues that you know, here in America, we have a, a large proportion of adults, you know, people who are over 30 or over 40 or whatever, who, because of technology, because of changes in the way work happens, they've been knocked out of labor markets, right? And you see this in other parts of the Northeast of England and other places like that. And so, um, you know, what we need to convince people of is that through learning, through education, formal or informal, they can actually... Um, create more agency for themselves and create more more opportunity. So mm -hmm. the educators like to call this lifelong learning. Um, most people, real people, don't like the term lifelong learning because it sounds like a you know like you're being sent to a, you know like a sentence. Uh, you know it's, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it is it is uh, in fact a part of who we should be and and how we see ourselves as humans which is lifelong learners, that we should never stop. This is not a one and done, you know, you get educated early in, in your life and then you do other things, you know, work and other things for the rest of your life. No, you know, you get a lot of education early in your life because it builds you to a certain experience base, but then you keep learning. That's the idea. And I think that's what we need to do as a society is, is help instill that idea of lifelong learning in everyone. And do you think that there is a need for, young people to do that much earlier <coughs> in their in their in, in their life today or do you think by and large education is sufficient as it I, is I, I, I think I think the uh, we have to be very careful when it comes to education and not trying to bring too many things to young people too quickly so really building basic skill sets again I've talked to lots of AI experts roboticists etc who say you know, your five-year-old, your seven-year-old does not know, need to know how to code. Like that's just not important right now. Um, 
they really need to learn lots and lots of basic human traits. They, they will learn technical skills. They will learn technology, et cetera. So I think it is making sure that we not in our zeal to uh, drive increasing um, success among young people, push them to things that is just not developmentally appropriate for them yet. And so, you know, you look at these these Montessori and these kind of, of early learning models that I think are, are really valuable models. Uh, they, they they work really well because it's like a layer cake of these human human skills that you want to build. And higher in the layer cake is these more sophisticated, advanced, you know, analytic, problem solving, synthesizing, all of those things that, that are really important. So just to kind of conclude the podcast. Um, if I were to encourage you to look super far into the future. <coughs> so if I were to encourage you to look super far into the future, what would be your craziest prediction about the role of AI in society? I think, um, I think my craziest prediction um, is that uh, we will get to a place where um, where we don't worry about the fear of synchronicity of of um, machines achieving true human <laughs> intelligence, but where we where we are living in a world where our ability to be uh, truly um, interactive with these very advanced machines creates, um, you know, success for humans that are unimaginable. Yeah, I think, wow, that's beautiful. Um, and also potentially not everything is materialistic. So there's, the, you know, greater Absolutely. time for, to indulge in creative pursuits and do more and better things with your time. And, uh, and I think just be a bit more collaborative. Okay. Uh, and, you know, and coexisting uh, rather than constantly competing, because that's the one thing that actually hasn't ended up, uh, at least hasn't got us as humanity to a great place right now, if you look at climate change. But thank you so much, uh, Jamie. This is a, a thoroughly enjoyable conversation because uh, I think principally because you've done a lot in this space and, and, and you've done and thought about these things. Thank you so much again. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again to get in greater depth in some of these uh, points that you've raised. But that's for another time. Thank you, Prashant. Thank you very much. And thank you for the leadership that you show. Thanks for listening. If you found this conversation valuable, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have a story or someone you know does, please recommend them to us by email at hello at We'll see you next time on In Youth We Trust.